Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 151 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Yes. It's almost here, maybe. It's almost here. <laughs> yes. Dad's months of waiting are finally coming to an end. That's right. Yes. Um, so last podcast for our special 150th episode, we did a special on conference realignment and the Pac-12. And now this episode is going to be focused more specifically on Nebraska, uh, what's been going on since we last talked in June, uh, fall camp. And uh, we'll have one more coming up that will properly preview the Minnesota game as we get into the season at large. So uh, it's time to talk Big Red. Exactly. And it's uh, it's now close enough that it's it's real. Right. The boys are out there pounding, pounding the pads every day now. Yep. Yeah, I saw just today there was a bunch of uh, videos. It seems like showing off the new locker room and facilities and stuff. Yeah, they had their first glimpse, is uh, I think the way they're describing it. They are not moved in yet, but they uh, at least got the locker room arrangement, I think, set up to show the the players what it's going to look like when they finally get in. They've had some, you know, like most uh, construction projects, especially big complex ones like that, they've had their share of delays uh, because of materials availability and things like that. Right. Uh, but before we dive into all that, uh, we're going to stick with our tradition and crack open uh, a beverage, or at least I am today. I've got my Golden Road Mango Cart. Ah, uh-huh. very good. And I, I have, I'm, I'm drinking water today, uh, so uh, just trying to take ease into the end of my summer before uh, the heavy, the heavy activity of the fall begins here in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's so, right. But I've got my water bottle that has all my stickers on it. And the one prominently displayed in the front uh, of it is, damn right I'm a Husker. <laughs> I love it. There we go. Well, uh, we'll have to see after the Minnesota game. Are we drinking our sorrows away? Or are we drinking for joy? It'll be one of the two. Exactly. Exactly. Here we go again. Yeah. All right. Well, here I go. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. So as we dive into this, uh, we're focusing on specifically what's been going on with Nebraska in terms of, you know, some recruiting, you know, and transfer news and that sort of thing, but also more generally just how has fall practice gone? What are the rumblings we've heard, you know, from the media folks that have gone to see the games and stuff like that? And one thing that I saw, and this was a few weeks ago, so it may be out of date now, um, but the general summary was that uh, it was a bit something similar to what we saw in the spring game, basically, that the defense was looking pretty sharp, you know, in terms of execution and intensity, and that the offense was not executing to the same level. Um, did you hear some of that as well? Oh, a- absolutely. In fact, that's that's basically the assessment that Coach Rule has shared uh, w- with the media. Uh, he's been pretty forthright, you know, pretty uh, honest up front, whatever term you want to use about the fact that the offense is not where he would like it to be, but that he's, you know, uh, more pleased with the progress that the, the defense has been able to achieve during fall camp. And um, 
to some extent that's to be expected in that, you know, um, offense often has some timing elements to it that take a little longer to get, get, get together. Um, and so hopefully that will just continue to, um, you know, smooth itself out as they go. Um, and they're practicing the, they're going to have one more big scrimmage here in a, a couple of days, actually. And, um, on, I think Thursday of this week, and that'll be like the final significant scrimmage, uh, of live football that they'll have because basically, you know, the following days, then they get into game week. Right. And for context, we're recording this on Monday, August 21st. So yes, it is the basically one full week before the upcoming game against Minnesota, which is a Thursday game, which is obviously unusual and something we need to you know keep in mind, uh, or the coaches do anyway in their prep. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm curious, what have you heard about uh, Jeff Sims? Because obviously with Casey Thompson's departure, he is the clear number one candidate to be our starting quarterback. Um, so it's not like there's necessarily a big quarterback battle there per se, but what have you been hearing about his performance so far? You know, I think so far things have gone uh, fairly well. Uh, at the, the coaches, Satterfield, the, the OC and, and quarterbacks coach has uh, been uh, glowing really in his description of, of what Jeff Sims has been able to accomplish during fall camp. Now he's not, again, not, not where they want him to be, but, but he has a, a very good grasp of, of, of the offense to the degree that they've been able to reveal the offense to him. Obviously, they'll continue to add more wrinkles and add more stuff to this uh, formula, if you will, as the season progresses. But, but I think they're pretty happy with him, and and his accuracy has been good. You know, his decision making has been good. You know, all those kinds of things. I think that there's probably still some concerns about how efficiently he runs the the overall system. You know, getting all the right players in in and out of the huddles. Since we're trying to huddle up, that's obviously takes takes some time but it gives him the opportunity as the quarterback to be a leader in a way that you can't be when you're constantly, you know, lining up at the line of scrimmage and then having everybody look over to the sidelines, which has become the most common uh, approach to uh, offensive football. We're actually trying to run an offense where we huddle. And so that quarterback has a chance to deliver the play to everybody and look them in the eyes and have a little conversation before you turn around and go up to the line of scrimmage. So I think there's a there's an adjustment in the whole timing of that. Like in the in the practices in the uh, scrimmages that we've had, we've had trouble with uh, delay of games, of personnel issues. You know, not the right guys on the field, that sort of stuff. So there, you know, that got cleaned up a little bit between the first scrimmage and the second scrimmage, but it's still not where the coaches need it to be. Right. So that's an example. You know, that's an it's a role or a. a, a um, an, ele- an element of being the quarterback that Jeff Sims is still working to master. Right. Yeah. And that's an a- aspect I'm definitely curious to see as we go into these first few games of the year, because under Scott Frost, obviously we were running more of this no huddle, hurry up type offense. But in practice, it we only got into the real hurry up, you know, where you're getting back to the line and getting out another play right away, you know, on a few occasions when things were actually going well, you know, we, we could put some pressure on a team, but you know, I would say 
80% of the time, you know, we were not doing that and we were more just looking at the sidelines, right, and running more standard timings. Um, and we've talked in the past about, you know, s- stealing signals and things like that and, like, why not just go back to a old school, you know, uh, do the do the huddle, you know, have a player run out to the huddle with the play, you know, from the coach and things like that. Um so I hope that we can get that into a well-oiled machine where we aren't getting delay of games because um, I think it might be in an odd way an advantage in this uh, modern world of college football. Oh, I, I, I think so. And that, that's what uh, Matt Rule is a, is a big believer in because, again, it allows your, your, your offensive leader, which in this case is the quarterback, to really um, demonstrate that, I'm leading this team. This is my team because he's got control of that huddle every time they get together, you know, between plays and he's able to emphasize certain things or certain players. Hey, you need to don't forget this or remember they like to do this twist or whatever. So he can impart wisdom on the rest of his teammates based on his job as quarterback. Right. And that's something that has gone away with the the modern approach to offensive football. So I'm excited to see it. I, I really am. And I'm a believer in it. And we're, we're clearly committed. This is another thing uh, on offense. We're committed to integrating some fullback activity into this. You know, how often we're going to actually see a, a fullback line up in a traditional sense, I don't know. I'm going to say, I, I'm going to predict it's probably 30% of the time or less, right? But that's still way, way more than we've seen in the last decade. Right. Yes, and that's something we did see a little bit of in the spring game and something that fans are excited for. Uh, One thing we did not see in the spring game that is now a factor is that we've had a new five-star freshman join the team, uh, Tristan Alvano, and I've seen video of him nailing 50-yard field goals with plenty of room to spare. Uh, Now, I don't know, obviously, how consistent he is at that. Uh, But compared to what we were seeing in the spring game, I think he was definitely an improvement. And we uh, we haven't had the type of consistent kicking game that we had, say, in the Bo Pelini era. So I'm hoping we can get back to that with Matt Rule. Right. Oh, there's certainly plenty of emphasis being placed on the kicking game. I I love the fact that they're spending so much time and making it a priority within practices and such. But, But I would also say that, again, the, uh, this is a great example of Matt Rule being honest. He has been underwhelmed so far by his kicking game. Um, they had, again, a few coordination issues, you know, people not getting lined up, whatever, and some uh, poor uh, uh, percentages in terms of make and miss on the field goals. And so that's an area uh, that there continues to be a battle between Tristan and uh, Bleak Road um, and, uh, I don't know who's going to get the job, although I, I still am inclined to believe it's going to be Tristan because his leg is definitely stronger, as you said, but, uh, he hasn't, he hasn't demonstrated the kind of consistency that, you know, the coaches, uh, need and expect from their field goal kicker. There's a difference kicking in high school to where now the scrutiny is so much greater in college, right? Especially a big time college like Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. 
And to your point, you know, we've had the Big Ten media days have come and gone at this point, you know, and Matt Rule has given quite a few interviews with different outlets. I think I saw that today he's going on the Husker Network, right, for a broadcast to the state. Um, so what, is, what has been your assessment so far? You've mentioned how he's been quite upfront with the problems that he sees with the team. Do you think that is working to his benefit in terms of the public uh, you know, reaction or, uh, you know, maybe deflating people too much. No, no, no. Oh, he's definitely not deflating people too much. I would not say that. I, I would still say you're, you're, you're having to avoid drinking too much of the rule aid, but I, I, I just, I love the messaging. He continues to be just remarkably on point throughout, uh, what his approach. And he's done some unique things here as he's, you know, um, he started off the, the the fall camp with the idea that he wanted to bring everybody together. He wanted to put everybody in the dorms, including the coaches. So even he and his coaches moved into the dorm rooms for the first two, two and a half weeks of, of fall camp. Um, right. And during that time, I mean, they ate together. They hung out together in the evenings. They, uh, you know, some of the sports in the, uh, the fall sports are already happening, like women's soccer and some other sports have already started to have competitions. And so the team went out and went to those events as a group. And they uh, they did some extracurricular activities, you know, some fun stuff. And they did pranks on the coaches and, and you know, the typical things that happen in a dorm, right? Uh, especially uh, when you're... <laughs> when you got no school going on. Right. right. So, uh, school, school starts this week, this sun, uh, this Monday. So, uh, today, I guess, as we, as we are doing this broadcast, this is the first day of classes at university of Nebraska Lincoln. So, um, you know, anyway, he did, he, he accommodated all of that, right. And created that tension, the guys that are sleeping in beds that they're not comfortable with. You know, you got guys that are six foot eight there, right sleeping in those dorm beds, right? And having to get up and just fight through it. He was trying to create an environment that was create some tension and adversity that they would have to overcome uh, and build some bonds, you know, playing uh, board games and just having fun with each other and sitting around and talking. And he organized who was with who. And so he took an offensive player and he roomed him with a defensive player, right? So he he tried to mix things up and create uh, those kinds of opportunities that might not otherwise be there. And, uh, um, you know, some people would look at that and say, boy, that's, that's risky. You know, you could get guys in fights with each other, you know, that aren't good compatible roommates, all kinds of stuff. Oh, he had also, like I said, even his own coaches, I mean, they were away from their families. They, they were kind of, you know, girlfriends, all that stuff. Nope. That's all back burner boys. You guys, you stay here. You don't leave. We're here until we're done. And they did that for two weeks, right? And then he let them break and go back home and go see their girlfriends and wives and, and all that sort of stuff. And he actually, he had had so much fun, he stayed. He stayed <laughs> in the dorm. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> his, his family isn't yet here, which is part of the reason. But rather than moving back into the apartment or whatever his temporary moving or living situation is, he chose to stay and sell a call uh, at the dorm. Um so, um, you know, I, I think it was just his way of kind of uh, creating that environment and then having a uh, uh, refreshing, you know, that right when you're going into the doldrums of 
of fall camp when things are starting to get tough, everybody's banged up, you know, you're, you're, you're going through the, the grind of that. Now all of a sudden you get the refresher of being able to go back home, sleep in your own bed. And it's just, it's a, it's another change. That's just right at the right time to kind of give everybody a shot in the arm. Right. So I, I actually think it, the way he managed that and played that out was very uh, effective. I mean, I was worried about the pranks they were doing on the coaches and stuff and that something was going to backfire, but it ended up being not only media gold, right? They were able to do some, some uh, amazing social media uh, uh, things, videos on that, right? Little reels and stuff. And uh, they had a balloon fight, water balloon fight and just different things. So I was impressed with how that whole thing played out. And, and in, and in doing that, that didn't take them away from their focus of getting better as a football team. Right. Yeah. No, that is interesting. I hadn't heard that part of the story. Did he say, did rule say that that was something he had done at Baylor in the past? Um, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily get specifically that it was a Baylor thing or a thing he'd done at temple. I think there may be that, that he had done that somewhere in his past, but, but he just looked at this you know, he may not do that again next year. He's like, Hey, this is a first year thing. We're doing that because we're building culture and we need to instill all this stuff. So I just felt this was the right thing to do this year. So he wasn't committing that this is going to be our new standard, or this is the way we're going to do it every year or anything like that. It was just, this is what he felt he needed to do. And then the way it played out, it just seemed to really work quite well. uh, I felt, and it, and it just, um, I I get a sense that this team genuinely likes playing together, and th- there is uh, they feel good about themselves, and there's a there's an era of uh, confidence that I think has been missing since maybe the first year of the Scott Frost era. Right. Well, and speaking of building the culture, you know, for this uh, first year team, um, we've also seen that he. Uh, while he is a, you know, clearly a coach who likes to have fun with the players, you know, and do games and go out to events and things like that. Uh, he's also not afraid to hold back on discipline, you know, in terms of following the team rules and coming to meetings on time, you know, and even if you're a starter, he's not going to be any more lenient with you. That's the vibe I've been getting at least. Oh, you are right on, Alex. I think he he has done a great job. And you know what? Again, the players have responded to it because they know he's being so upfront and honest. And he and it's just so obvious that he's coming at it in a very humble way that is very pragmatic and practical. Hey guys, this is the way it is. You know, and he and he he talks not so much about starters and who's going to be the starter. He's he's almost uh, a little fed up with all the Nebraska media asking about a depth chart. Okay. <laughs> he, 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 he talks about these are the players that are above the line and it doesn't matter offense, defense. These are the players that are ab- above my confidence line. Like I need to be able to be confident in you. I, I need to be able to trust you to go out there and play. And, and, and if, and if I can, then you're one of the above the line guys which means I wouldn't have any hesitation of sending you out there. And he's made no bones about the fact that particularly on defense, they plan on rotating a lot of players. I mean, you know, you only have 11 guys on the field, but he hopes to have 27, 28 players that are above the line on defense. And that all those guys are going to be moving in and out of the team 
uh, of the lineup at any uh, on any snap. So there's going to be 20 plus starters, right? Guys that they don't necessarily start the very first snap, but they're starter material. Right? right. That's what he wants to build. Now, not so much maybe on the offensive side. I don't think you're going to see that kind of number, but but the same kind of thing where these are the you know, this is this is my starting quarterback. And then he's he has, you know, he feels really good about uh, his second and third string quarterbacks. And I don't know that he's really going to tell you ever who's the second string quarterback. He's going to say both of them are. And it depends on the situation in the game, because obviously one of the quarterbacks is is more of a traditional thrower, um, uh, athletic enough, but uh, traditional uh, throwing quarterback. And the other one is a is a hoss that could play, you know, tight end or wide receiver for us, but also has some wheels and is one of the best athletes on the, on the team in Harburg. And so he's a guy that if we need to run the football, he's probably going to be the guy that gets the call if we have to replace Sims, right? So it's very situational. Uh, that's an example. Right. Um, and speaking of that, I have seen certain comments he's made about specific players or positions here recently. For example, he mentioned that, uh, I believe it was last week, that Luke Reimer had a particularly good practice, said it was the best that he played so far in the fall and that he was in the backfield a lot making plays. Or he discussed the running backs and mentioned that he thought that uh, Gabe Irvin was number one tailback uh, he said Ramir would be a good guy, like you say, situationally for those third down situations. And he mentioned that Anthony Grant has had a problem with fumbling the ball a lot this practice, uh, which is a shame for me to hear because I really like Anthony Grant from what we've seen of him in the past. Uh, but if he's coughing up the ball, you know, I understand why Rule has to be hard with him. Right. Well, and 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 he and you know he he went on to say a few more things about Anthony Grant. Number one, he said. You know, he's he's probably the best pure running back we have just in terms of his ability to run with the football, right? His vision, all those things. The guy can jump cut. I mean, he's he's got some spe- spectacular skills. But this fumble problem is not new. This was also present in the in the spring. So this is a this is a bugaboo that that Anthony has to get rid of. And so coach is making it very clear and Anthony's old enough. This is not some young freshman that you have to coddle, you know? And so that's why he said, you know, normally I wouldn't even mention him by name, but I just, I I feel I can because it's Anthony. He knows what he needs to do to get, get on the field. And um, so right now, probably the only reason he's not uh, being talked about as the starter or co-starter maybe with Irvin is that, uh, is that that problem with fumbles. Right. Uh, now, those are some of the specific players I've heard Rule mention. Are there any others that come to mind for you that have been standouts? Oh, yes. You know, uh, Luke, Luke Gifford. Uh, uh, I think it's Luke. Gosh, I can't remember his first name now. But anyway, uh, or is it Isaac? <laughs> now I can't remember. But uh Anyway, uh, uh, Gifford on defense has really uh, popped. Um, you know, uh, U- Uman Yellen and Leinhart, the two young defensive linemen, defensive ends, have uh, definitely been mentioned quite a bit. You know, he doesn't he doesn't mention a lot of players individually. Most of these mentions that you're talking about, that you read or hear him saying stuff about, it's because there was a question asked about that particular athlete. 
right? He's not necessarily a guy who's volunteering a lot of this information. He occasionally does it. Like I think the Anthony Grant thing, he volunteered it. But most of the time, those other comments are almost all coming in response to a specific question. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, again, I, I really like the way Coach Rule has, you know, um, chosen to approach this. He's been, again, very available to the media. Uh, you, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, it's not like the media has gotten a ton of time to watch. However, there's a lot of people going to those practices because Coach Rule has made it open that any coach in the state of Nebraska, well, any coach in general, but but certainly there's more Nebraska coaches that where it's convenient and they're available to come and watch a Nebraska practice. But any coach can come and watch the practice. Okay, a high school coach. Um, if uh, uh, if any past football players, past alumni want to come, um, they can come and watch practice, even if they're media, right? because some of the media are past football players. Mm -hmm. But I think there's an expectation that, okay, you need to understand that uh, you, you can't go blabbing and taking video and trying to release stuff to, to get clicks or whatever for your media organization, or I will shut you down, right? So, so at least for now, Matt Rule is, uh, is leaving it open. And so far, I get the sense that, you know, all the people within that, uh, those co that coaching fraternity and the the past players have been respectful of coach rules, uh, you know, giving them access so they can see the team. But uh, so I, I've heard a lot of good things. I think uh, the the the, uh, the the positives are I think our defense has got a lot of players that are now in, above that line, and so there's going to be lots of changing. Uh, 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 personnel groupings and things like that. And we have some real depth uh, pretty much everywhere except uh, at um, our defensive line. There, that's still going to be a big question mark for us throughout the season. And we need to stay healthy on that defensive line, that defensive front. But we, we've got a pretty salty group of linebackers to choose from. And our secondary has all kinds of moving pieces, man. Like, we got lots of options and all those things. So you're going to see a lot of dynamics out of our defense. And it sounds like we are being super aggressive. So I'm, I'm excited to watch our defense. Now, on offense, different story. We, uh, we have some areas where we're quite thin. I, our running back room, which you already mentioned, is in pretty darn good shape. You know, because of what happened in the offseason with the quarterback room, uh, that's a fairly well understood room now too we got three guys that's all we got we got three guys that are ready to play and um uh, and one is way better than the other two so we need sims to stay healthy for right. sure right but uh but we got two other guys that are at least um uh, capable and so i uh, at least at this point as long as we have those three i think the coaches are pretty comfortable wide receivers whole different story offensive line again a whole different story those are areas where we do not have depth not things are not clear. I think they're they're very much as a coaching staff trying to figure those areas out. Right. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that uh, wide receiver room, um, one of the unfortunate stories that we heard um, during this fall was that uh, Xavier Betts, who came back to the team and you know had performed well for us in the past. Uh, has decided to leave the team. It sounded, from what I understood, that it was his own decision, and I guess he gave it 
gave it his all to try to, you know, get back into that football mindset, you know, of a top school like Nebraska, and he just couldn't uh, get there mentally. Is that your assessment as well? Yes, that's the way that's the way it was presented was basically, you know, here's a kid who who quit uh, the Nebraska team last year because it, his heart really wasn't into it. And then but then after, you know, all the things that transpired, Scott leaving uh, the new coaching staff coming in and actively, you know, reaching out to him and telling him how much they would like him to do it. And then he put a ton of effort in. I mean, this is a kid who then came back into school, um, you know, got some classes in last uh, spring and then took 21 credit hours between the, the, the spring semester and the uh, and, and and through the summer. Right. 21 credit hours to get eligible again so that right. because he had left school, he had quit school uh, when he quit the team last fall. And and so and he had talked very openly about how he he felt like he had let his family down and his friends down in the community and he wanted to give it another try and he was committed to doing it. And he put in all that work. But then after about a week and a half of, of, of fall camp, I think he just came to the conclusion that, you know, I just don't love this enough. I'm not willing to put in all this effort for this sport that maybe I just don't like that much. And so he told Rule he was going to try to stay in school, but he wasn't going to continue his football career. Now, it's sad because he's, he's one of the premier football players, not only on the Nebraska team, but probably one of the premier ones, younger players in the country at that position. And he has NFL potential if he had been willing to put in the effort. But but you know what? If you don't love the sport, I mean, getting banged around and knocked around and stuff and, and doing all the things you got to do to be uh, successful at this level, it's not for everybody. It's a big commitment. And he recognized he couldn't do it. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. You know, if you don't, if your heart's not in it, you know, and you're not willing to give that, you know, a hundred percent because you enjoy the sport, you love the competitiveness, you know, and you're willing to put up with the barfing after running, you know, <laughs> 500 yards, you know, in practice or whatever, you got to have that mentality. And uh, another player that has uh, left the team in this case, it was a transfer was a uh, miles farmer, the safety uh, transferred yes. off the team. Yes. Now, my understanding with Miles was more that, um, you know, he had he had gotten into a little bit of trouble slash doghouse, you know, with the new staff because there were some expectations that he wasn't quite meeting. And but they made they gave him a clear path. I mean, this is a kid who you know had started about twenty games for us, right? I mean, he had been a starter for a couple of years, so he was a guy that we wanted and clearly you know, was hoping would be a, a, a factor for us on our defense. But um, he was getting pushed by a lot of this other young talent that we have, especially in that secondary area. We've got some depth there. And I think uh, the combination of him getting a little bit in the doghouse and then uh, recognizing that maybe his playing time was going to be, you know, diminished, curtailed a little bit, maybe would be the way to describe it, even though he was a, uh, you know, a, a starter, a returning starter, um, had him looking for other alternatives. And so uh, that's what he did. He decided to just, rather than step up to the challenge that had been presented to him by 
Matt to kind of get himself back into the good graces of the coaching staff. He chose instead to go to the portal. Mm-hmm. And that that is probably one of the uh, – that is a snapshot of what's wrong with the portal. <laughs> oh, you think so? I do. I, I, I think that it, it's sad because the one that's hurt the most in this scenario that I just described is miles farmer. Cause it's, it's, it's likely that had he not had that easy path to departure that you would hope that a guy with his talent and, and history would have found a way to rededicate himself and fight through and embrace the grind. And then eventually come out the other side, a more mature and appreciative athlete you know, and hopefully graduate and, and, you know, move on into whatever was next in life for him, whether it was a pro opportunity or just going into whatever his profession was going to be post-college. But, um, now, you know, that, that little bit of immaturity that you could work through as a student athlete in the past, because of the challenge that was presented to you by a coach. Now there's an easy path around that. And so you never get, you never learn the hard lesson. Right. And I, that's a, that's a horrible thing for young people to not have that, right. To not have that opportunity uh, because I mean, let's face it. That's why they call it maturity, right? You know, youth is wasted on the young, as they say. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm sure you're, you, (laughs) you feel that from time to time yourself. (laughs) Um, so as a result of, you know, some of the transfers and, you know, different people coming in and out of the team, uh, in terms of our 85 scholarship limit, we're fine there, which I know, you know, at one point earlier this year, we were a little bit concerned because we were quite a bit over, um, but the numbers have settled down. We, we ended up, uh, we ended up giving out two scholarships to walk-ons just this week. One of them has been announced. The other one hasn't been announced because he hasn't yet told that player. Um, but uh, but so that tells you that there we we were we were at eighty three scholarships um, as of a week ago, right? Yeah. After the after the uh, farmer and uh, and Xavier Betts departures. Right. Yep. You know. So good that we're you know we're obviously we're not over. We're not worrying about that. Um, and with a first year coach, you know, coming in and kind of shaking things up and stuff, it's not too surprising that there were, you know, some players who just weren't on board with the new system, you know, for whatever reasons of their own. Um, right. Exactly. But, by the way, it was, uh, Isaac Gifford earlier. You were Isaac. correct. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so glad we could clear that up. And one of the other, uh, unfortunate pieces of news that came out, uh, during this time since we last recorded was that uh, our tight ends coach, uh, Bob Wagger, uh, was let go from the university after he uh, was pulled over for a DUI. And apparently he wasn't just the DUI. He also somewhat resisted with the police officer. Wasn't a great look. So now he's gone. And Josh Martin, who was our special teams analyst, has been promoted to the new to fill that position as the tight ends coach. Right. And this situation is very disappointing to me because I I was optimistic that this Bob Wager might 
be a, a guy that really could um, take advantage of this opportunity that was, that was given to him or presented to him by um, uh, Coach Rule, uh, but he wasn't able to do it. Uh, there, there's some indications that maybe he was a little in over his head that, that he was stressing about this, uh, the, the, the obligation, the burden, the expectation of, you know, what is required of a, of a division one head football coach, you know, uh, it's not easy to work for rule, right? He demands a lot and a lot of, uh, energy and time and everything like that. And maybe this just wasn't a right, uh, a good fit. So in some regards, maybe this was a path out for Bob to, uh, you know, take take his leave, right? And just move on to what might present itself next for him. But he was a gr- great coach uh, down in Texas as a high school coach. I think he'll land on his feet for sure. Um, I, uh, you know, Matt very much was very um, supportive and positive in, in announcing uh Bob's departure. Bob actually resigned. Um, I don't think he was forced to uh, leave. I think it was him making the decision on his own that, you know what, he had to deal with this issue uh, and um, that needed his attention. So he couldn't do that and be the example he needed to be for his team. So so he stepped away. And that's his choice. So uh, I hope the best for Bob. And his family. I mean, they just moved to Nebraska, obviously, so that's that's tumultuous to say the least. Uh, but um, uh, I'm I'm hoping that he can find his way and and end up landing on his feet somewhere very soon. Yes, totally agree. Oh, and and I would mention one other thing. Josh, the guy that he replaced him, Josh actually has quite a bit of of experience as a coach, very successful coach. So the good news was we had a person on staff as an analyst that was ready and available to step right in and immediately pick up where Bob left off. So um, it'll be interesting to see how our tight ends do, but I get the sense that um, in terms of uh, actually uh, the coaching aspect of it, uh, I don't think we're going to miss much. I think where we would, where we're really going to miss not having Bob is in the recruiting and the relational aspect of what what we could have been able to maybe glean from having Bob on staff uh, and his connections to the state of Texas. Right. More on the recruiting side of things. Correct. Um, okay. So as kind of a summary here of our impressions of the fall practice and what's been going on in Husker world for the past couple months, um, obviously we're looking ahead to that Minnesota game and we'll do a more in-depth preview of that, uh, coming up here this weekend. Um, but I will say, uh, I'm glad to hear that, you know, the defense is improving, you know, as we've gone week to week here, scrimmage to scrimmage and this three, three, five, you know, is a newer kind of system, not one that the big 10 is very familiar with, like you say, very aggressive. So I'm excited to see what that can do. Um, but the signs of worry on the offense definitely concern me because my overall, uh, assessment of last year's team under Scott Frost was similar in that oftentimes our defense stepped up to the plate and made stops when they needed to. And then the offense got the ball and just couldn't get it going. 
Uh, so if we're in for a repeat of that this year uh, and some of the similar mistakes of, you know, fumbling the ball and turnovers and things like that, that, that we saw in the spring game, then I could see uh, this season not going well for us. You know, and I think that to your point, uh, people should calm down on the roulette a bit, you know, and set more reasonable expectations for this first season under Matt rule. Um, but I'm all obviously eternally hopeful as a Nebraska fan. So I would like to hope that the offense after a few games, maybe under their belt, they are able to get into sync more, you know, and kind of find their rhythm and uh, Jeff Sims stepping into that leadership role in, you know, critical game moments. And then I think we could uh, really do some stuff this year. Right. I, I, I kind of agree. I think, I think uh, I'm in the wait and see mode uh, as you are, I think. Uh, and I am also very excited about what, what our defense might look like and all the different packages that we might be able to put together out there. It's exciting to hear about that young depth that's developing. Um, and I also, um, I am hopeful that our, our offensive line is going to come together and be better than people expect. And that's what I'm hopeful for. And uh, we're obviously going to be thin no matter what, but we, um, uh, we have a chance because of our frontline players actually have quite a number of snaps. They've played a lot of Big Ten football. So it's time for them to translate that experience into performance. And so I think and expect that that's what we're going to see. I think that's been clouded a little bit by the fact that this 3-3-5 is throwing them for a loop, right? There's just so much uh, newness to that 3-3-5 and its aggressive nature that our offensive line has not looked very good in, in camp against them. But as they start to change their focus to you know that first game and maybe playing some more traditional defenses that they're familiar with, I'd like to think that maybe our offensive line might come together a little bit. And if we can get that going, then our wide receivers, even if we don't have the, 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 you know, the separators and the, the real difference makers ready to go just yet, uh, we'll have enough possession type activity to balance our, our offense and, and use our good deep running back room. Yes, I totally agree. Um, so now we're going to switch our focus from Nebraska football into a different Nebraska sport, uh, the Nebraska women's volleyball team. Um, obviously, they're starting to get into their season as well. Um, and there's a big event coming up that you and uh, some of the rest of the family will actually be in attendance for, which is the big game on August 30th that's going to be in Memorial Stadium with the goal of trying to break the biggest attendance uh, record for a women's sporting event. So it's excitement in the air for that one. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that the whole issue around volleyball day in Nebraska has just been a, a, a literally a global buzz. Uh, it started, you know, right there in Lincoln, but, but now, I mean, it is getting talked about within uh, sports uh, circles, spheres uh, throughout the world. At this point, because we've gone from we hope to, you know, break this NCAA record for uh, attendance to a women's volleyball match um, that we have, you know, we, we own like seven of the 10 top 10 attendance 
games in history, but we don't own the number one one because uh, uh, Wisconsin and uh, Florida played in a match um, in Milwaukee that broke the, the previous regular season record that we had held. And so to get that back, that was the genesis of this conversation. But then it just kind of grew and grew. And when you sell out an entire stadium of 80,000 seats, 78,000 seats, whatever it is, um, in literally about 48 hours, <laughs> uh, then, then all of a sudden they are like, okay, now what are we going to do? We didn't expect that. They were hoping to get 40,000 or something. And when it went from that to the entire stadium so fast, I think they were caught a little bit surprised. So then they had to kind of refocus and change the dream. And so then that's what they did. They put standing room only in. They added some other elements that allowed to expand the number of people that could potentially buy tickets. And now we are in that stratosphere of certainly threatening the um, largest attendance of a women's sporting event in the United States and maybe even the world. So we'll see. Weather has to cooperate. Right now, the forecasts, the long-range forecasts are pointing that it's going to be hot, but that right now, hopefully, it won't be very windy and the humidity is going to be 45 50%. If we could get away with that, you know, by the time we're playing that second game at 7.30 in the evening, um, then hopefully the temperatures won't be ridiculous. Yes. So I looked it up. The record was actually set earlier this year at, I believe it was like a soccer game, and the record is 91,553 people. So that's, that's right. the one to beat for the world record. For the world record, yep, yep. And, I mean, I, I think they're reasonably confident that we're going to get into that 89,000 range maybe uh, if everyone comes and the weather cooperates. Uh, but now th they're talking about the fact that if everything goes well, we might hit 95. So, uh, but you know, what's, what's, um, uh, lost in all this is obviously it's a, it's a, it's become a huge event for, you know, um, women's sports in general, but women's volleyball specifically, and just the amazing growth trajectory that this sport is on. Uh, and you know, Nebraska has been right in the middle of it, right in the thick of it. And, uh, we just had our red white game. Uh, which is the um, fall scrimmage for uh, the, the team. And because we have 14 players and the division of all those players, they were truly able to put field two teams. You know, a lot of times in these red-white scrimmages, maybe one of the coaches is playing, some of the practice players which are who are male would be playing in this game to be able to balance out the teams, right? Uh, in this case, though, uh, they were able to balance out and put two teams that were highly competitive. And it ended up going to a four-match uh, or a four-set match, uh, won by the red team uh, three to one. But every game uh, except for the one that the white team won was a deuce game. It was a two-point victory for the red, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, the, the intense amount of, of uh, competition and the competitiveness of this squad competing against itself was – a thing to watch, man. It was awesome and uh, has got me really fired up about the, the direction that this particular year's team is going to be headed. So they start their season this coming Friday with their first match uh, at the Bob Devaney Center. And uh, so their season's going to get underway and they're going to get a few games under their belt before this 
this big volleyball day in Nebraska game. Uh, but we're very excited to go and, and just be there and be a part of the experience. We're not going to have a good seat, <laughs> it, it looks like, uh, in terms of view of the actual court, but we're going to be part of the crowd, and, and there are big screens all over that stadium, as you know. So I think we're going to enjoy the heck out of it regardless. There you go. Yeah, it's a unique experience. And uh, that particular game on the 30th is against Omaha. Um, right. So... You know, it's basically an all-Nebraska crowd in there. You know, there's no real right. away team per se. And then and the game before it is also a University of Nebraska Kearney against... Um, Wayne State. Wayne State, thank you, which is another Nebraska. So it's all Nebraska schools. Um, and so it is really, they're trying to create the focus of a celebration. And I, I mean, I know Coach, Coach Cook and even Athletic Director Trev Albers um, is anticipating or, or thinking that, you know, if we get this pulled off, that it's kind of one of those things that maybe no one will get close to, but I disagree. If we pull this thing off, uh, all kinds of other, uh, sports are going to try to do the same thing because they're going to look at the dollars and cents that, that Nebraska was able to accomplish with this. And they're going to say, oh my gosh, that's the opportunity to create that kind of energy and and, uh, you know, attention, because uh, we're going to be on the Big Ten Network, right, for this game. Uh, and that whole event's going to be a big deal. Uh, so right. I just I just think people are going to look at it and say, that's too much. That's too much free media publicity. That's too much money sitting on the table. And other people are going to try to do it, too. Right. And I don't I'm not as sure, you know, will the whole trend of like beating this specific world record number become the trend? I'm not so sure about that. But the idea of putting a volleyball game in your football stadium and getting tens of thousands of people to come, you know, if you've got a very good volleyball team like Nebraska does, I don't see why you don't try it, you know, and try to rake in those big bucks, like you say. Right, exactly. But but we will be the ones that have done it first again. Nebraska being the, uh, you know, we, we like to do a lot of things first and this will just be another in a long line of them. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to be able to watch this team play and grow throughout the season. This is, if you're, if you're listening to our podcast and not a, not a big follower of, of Nebraska's volleyball team, I, I would urge anyone who's listening to, uh, absolutely make, make it a point to watch this team this year. And I'm convinced if you love sports at all and you love the University of Nebraska at all, you will fall in love with this team uh, this season, no doubt. Okay. Now, my uh, uninformed question, because uh, I don't follow the volleyball as closely, but I've watched the big games, you know, like I watched us against Wisconsin last year and stuff like that, um, is uh, on the setting, right? Because that was one of our issues last year was that our setting was inconsistent. Um, do you think that that will be an area where we improve on this year? I do. I think coach cook is, is fairly committed that he is not going to run the six, two. We ran what uh, an offensive system that's referred to as a six, two, where we use two setters in our rotations um, uh, within each set. Um, and now we're going to go back to the, the more traditional five, one arrangement where we're going to have one setter who's going to be in there all, almost all the time. And there might be an occasional 
you know, substitution for uh, a serving cycle or something where the other setter would come in. So the, he is going to choose among the two setters that he has on the team. And um, the new one, uh, Bergen Riley, who is a true freshman, but has but comes to Nebraska with an, a, a huge amount of international experience uh, playing for USA uh, on their national development team. Uh, was, uh, you know, led the team to Pan Am gold um, and has even was uh, asked to become the backup setter on the women's uh, national team, not one of the under a or the lower age group teams, but the actual national team with, with um, um, you know, uh, Kelsey Robinson and uh, Justine Wong Arantes and all the ones who won the Olympic gold. She got to play on that team because they needed a setter and they asked her to step up uh, this past fall when she was a high school junior, you know, <laughs> so uh, uh, she has an enormous amount of of intense high level volleyball that she's played and she is not phased by this Nebraska thing so far. And so that's been quite impressive. Uh, but we also have um, Kennedy Orr, who is, uh, you know, who battled some some injuries and some you know confidence issues that she was dealing with last year and she has greatly improved put in a ton of effort and is is a substantially better player today than she was you know 12 months ago so we've got two pretty darn good options and i think we're going to be just fine our setting is going to be way better than it's been all right that's definitely good to hear i wasn't aware of the young girls uh whole background in the uh, well what, what do you call it it's not professional volleyball, right? Because was she being paid to do that on the U S no, no, no. She was, she was playing for the Olympic teams, right? Right. Like for the Olympics, which yeah, not professional. And, uh, so no, no, no payment, but national team, but it's very national team, very rare that a high schooler, right. Gets asked to participate and actually play in games. And she actually started as a setter, uh, during the, uh, Pan Am competition with the national team last last fall about this time a year ago. So she's she's very talented and she's she's six foot one. So she's quite tall and um, and she has a great serve. So she's got a pretty darn good all around game and she's just calm. She's a steadying influence. So there's all kinds of things to like and and our, you're gonna. It's very possible that we have at least three and possibly four freshmen that will be starting in this on this team <laughs> which there's only six players <laughs> right you know on a, so so to have you know um that many freshmen have significant roles and in all likelihood I'm uh, all five of them will probably end up playing significant roles this season so uh even if they don't start so it's going to be just uh, remarkable to see how fast these guys can integrate themselves into what Coach Cook is trying to get done uh, in the face of some really daunting, talented teams. This is going to be a great year of volleyball throughout the country. Um, Stanford is just absolutely loaded and has everyone coming back. They didn't lose anybody, basically, from their team. Um, so, And they were an outstanding team last year. Texas is the defending national champs. And they reloaded and have just an enormous talent team. And then Wisconsin, who won the Big Ten last year, and um, uh, they also um, uh, just reloaded 
by getting some transfers through the portal that were just top, top notch. And so they are as deep a team as there is in the country. They're phenomenal. So, and likely to win the big 10 again. So even as optimistic as I am about Nebraska, if, if pressed, I would have to admit that I'm picking Wisconsin to win the league and we will have to find a way maybe by the end of the season to just incrementally get better and maybe eventually knock them off in the, in the final four or something. If we get lucky enough to get there, I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. And there's, four or five other teams I could talk about that are just loaded with talent. So it's going to be an amazing year of volleyball. All right. Well, amazing year of volleyball, exciting year of football. As I mentioned on a previous podcast, a historic one because it's the end of so many eras between the playoff and the various conferences that have realigned and things like that. So uh, going to be an exciting year for watching college sports. And it's the hundredth anniversary of Memorial Stadium, which is another really cool thing, both for Matt Rule's first season and for this volleyball day in America or in Nebraska to be happening because uh, it's happening in the year of our 100th anniversary of Memorial Stadium. Yes, that is cool. So lots of cool elements coming up. I hope that uh, you and mom and everyone else have a good time at the volleyball game. You'll have to send me some pictures and stuff. Oh, we will. <laughs> I'm sure that won't be a problem for you. All right. Right. So next podcast, like I mentioned, we'll be back to discuss the uh, Minnesota game for Nebraska football and also be previewing the upcoming games uh, for week one. Uh, I'm particularly interested in the uh, TCU Colorado game, uh, which is, of course, Colorado is our week two opponent. Uh, so it's interesting that they have an even a pretty tough matchup for week one, you know, one of the top four teams in the country from last right. year. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, that will be very insightful. I don't, I think TCU is going to take a fairly significant step back. So I don't believe, and I'm not necessarily expecting this to be as lopsided as some others are uh, with regard to, you know, the how, but I still expect TCU to win the football game. But I don't, I don't know that it's going to be as lopsided as people think. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, of course, for our sakes, we hope that they uh, beat the crap out of Deion Sanders and his team before they come to face us. <laughs> Absolutely. But Absolutely. We'll see how that goes. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete 13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you search for College Football Throwdown. You can leave us a rating review there. Subscribe so you can get the episodes as we release them. We'll be recording more regularly now as we get into the football season. So thank you out there for listening. And thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.